Revelers and Weirdos, and welcome to another rambunctious episode of Scaring Sam, the podcast where sometimes I scare my fiancé with horror movies, sometimes she just rolls her eyes, and at all times she questions her life choices being with me. In this episode, there is no fiancé to be found. At first, anyway. And this week, we are discussing 2020's Underwater. Starring Christian Stewart. Please do not turn off because of that. Continue listening. And let's dive straight in. Let's look at the plot. Directed by William Eubank, Underwater follows the crew of a doomed underwater station as they try to flee the destruction after an earthquake and attempt to survive the harsh deep sea environment while the survivors are slowly picked off by fishy Lovecraftian horrors. From the get-go, it's plain to see what inspired Underwater. The classic that has generated countless of piss-poor imitators and terrible sequels since Ridley Scott's Alien. And there were a couple of similar Underwater-themed sci-fi and survival horror films in the late 80s. James Cameron's The Abyss, Leviathan and Deep Star 6. Haven't seen any of those films, but I'm guessing Underwater took some inspiration from those films, but clearly Alien was the biggest inspiration. The design of the Kepler has a similar dirty nuts and bolts industrial look as the Nostromo in Alien. They even borrow, liberally, those slow tracking shots through the empty station as we get a better sense of the environment, which is kind of pointless because we don't stay long in this first underwater station. The crew members have similar uniforms, even their pressurised deep sea suits resemble futuristic spacesuits. Then, of course, you have the female protagonist, just like Sigourney Weaver's Ripley. Naturally, there's a lot of things that Alien does better than this film, one of them being the film lacks a first act. It begins with the inciting incident of the alleged earthquake that damages the station. Because of this, we don't get the characterization of all these characters, which Alien did so well. So we're not as invested in their survival as we should be. For a time, we don't even know these characters' names, let alone their backstories. We learn some details over the course of the film's runtime. Kristen Stewart's Nora is a mechanical engineer who lost the love of her life. But it's not substantial, and that's an issue. When you have a 90-minute film, there's no room for padding, and the pacing is tight. That's great. I welcome that. How many 90-minute films do you get these days? But, big but, we need to know who these characters are before the action kicks in. I think before he dies, we only get Rodrigo's name, and then his head implodes, which is an absolute waste of an actor as talented as Marmadu Afi, who you got to check out in Archive 81 to see how great of an actor is when he has the potential to show his range when his character's head doesn't implode in the first 15 minutes of the story. He literally has a faulty suit that crumbles under the pressure so deep down in the sea. Are we invested when he dies? No, not really, because we just know his name. He's Rodrigo, and 
Yet, we're expected to care when he dies. It's just a grisly death. Yeah, it's shocking. But we're not watching it thinking, oh no, poor Rodrigo, because we have no idea who he is. The only interaction we've seen him have is with Nora and then a couple of other crew members they meet up with. But we don't know his relationship with them. We don't know who he is. We don't know his backstory because the film hasn't given us time to have a decent introduction to these characters. And that is a major flaw. How can we be invested in characters in a survival horror when inevitably they are going to be slowly picked off one by one until we're left with the last survivors and they are essentially cannon fodder? Most of these characters we just know by their first name and they have some interesting quirk. Oh, Paul carries round a plush bunny and he's played by TJ Miller. So naturally, he's going to be the Joker. He's going to be cracking all the jokes. And then a pursuing monster cracks off one of his legs. But we have no idea, really, who any of these characters are. To have a truly successful survival horror, you have to be invested in the characters. And it's a major flaw when you aren't. And here's another criticism I have. The title sequence. It literally spoils future plot details. These documentations that say there's reports of strange sightings of figures. And TN Industries are allegedly covering up what's going on down there at the Kepler station. If we didn't have this at the start of the film. If it just kicked in with the introduction of Nora and the earthquake that causes the Kepler station to be catastrophically damaged, then we would just think we're dealing with this tense, claustrophobic, suspenseful survival film where they're crawling through dark collapsed corridors, miles below the sea surface, and they're forced to wear constricting suits and walk miles on the seafloor in the pitch black and you know out there there's a bunch of anglerfish, those creepy fucking things with the teeth and the dangling light that look like they've been ripped straight from a H.P. Lovecraft story. That's tense enough. That would be a great story. And then you throw in all these creepy sea monsters that are picking off people. Oh, that's a new twist. Didn't see that coming. But with this title sequence, literally spoiling that for you, it takes something away from the experience because you're already anticipating something is already out there. And without that title sequence, the film does a good job of slowly cluing you in on this. The surviving crew members have a recording from the drill site where you hear this odd, monstrous roar. Then Paul and Liam are forced to explore survivors in this dark, grimy water, and at this point they can't see an inch in front of their face. Anything could be out there. And then, one of them is quoted as hearing this weird bird chirping. So something is out there, and it's surrounding them, and it's communicating. And then they find this adolescent deep one feeding on one of the other survivors they come across. And that's the first time you should be clued in that something 
paranormal, something supernatural is happening in this story. It's not just a disaster film. Something is going on down here. When they bring this specimen in to examine it, its kin starts knocking outside the structure. And that's a really creepy moment because us as an audience have no idea what's out there. We've got a sense that there might be more of these creatures out there and there might be bigger, meaner versions, but we haven't seen that yet. We don't know exactly what is out there, so our imaginations are running wild. There's something with enough intelligence to try and break in to this structure and retrieve their infant child. Or it could be something else out there, we don't know. When the Kepler station explodes and the remaining survivors have to dodge debris on the sea floor while heading for the Midway station, we see this silhouette watching them. It's a slow build-up before we actually see these creatures, before they actually start picking off the characters one by one. That's creepy stuff. Although, to be honest, when the captain is dragged away and these Deep One creatures fully reveal themselves to Nora and we get to see them in all their glory, yeah, great design, but it kind of loses its effectiveness. Alien was so powerful because we only got glimpses of the Xenomorph throughout the film until right at the end. And then you was like, oh, it's just some tall guy in a goofy outfit. Good design, but clearly a man in a suit. Whereas in this film, it's, oh, it's a whole bunch of CGI. Maybe it's just me, but I would rather allow my imagination to run amok and try to piece together what I'm seeing. What is this creature? What was that little glimpse we saw in the night vision with those creepy eyes peering out from the darkness? What is this thing? What was that? Was that a scale? Was that claws? Was that teeth? We don't know. Our imaginations are trying to piece it together. And at the end of the day, your imagination is the most powerful thing in your arsenal to scare you. And it's always going to surpass whatever you see on the big screen. But that title sequence just spoils this entire film of that suspenseful element that could have really creeped out the audience if they weren't already clued in. And that's a damn shame. It really is. This is a personal nag for me. Basically this whole episode, right? I've been nagging this entire time so far. I wanted to see more of the shady dealings of this Tian Industries. Aside from the documents we read at the beginning and the end of the film, there's absolutely no mention that this corporation was intentionally drilling in this location to awaken... Should I spoil it now? They're intentionally trying to awaken... Something... Someone... I wonder who it is, we'll find out later. Maybe it's because these are workmen we're watching and they're so low on the pecking order they wouldn't have any insight that the suits up the top were plotting something nefarious. But again, in Alien, the Wayland yutana Corporation had Ash as their inside man, and we could have done with the same in this film. 
They took so much else from Alien, why not that plot element? Maybe you have the captain exchanging messages with the suits upstairs because they want to retrieve a specimen or some evidence. I don't know, I don't even know what their nefarious plan entails. Maybe they're a cult worshipping whoever this creature may be, whoever it may be. Maybe they're trying to sate their alleged god. I don't know because there is no mention of this corporation's dodgy dealings throughout the entire film. It just feels like that documentation we see at the start and end of the film was added after production just to add an extra plot element to the story. Why give us this if there is no mention of it, no inkling of it, in the entire runtime of the film? It's frustrating. It's bloody irritating. Maybe I'm that kind of person who can be drawn into that rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. And just like Cloverfield, where you had to go on that deep dive throughout the internet to get all those plot elements that added something extra to the film, I wanted it in the runtime. I wanted to know that some evil corporate dealings were going on behind the scenes and this was the cause of all the destruction of this Kepler station. I needed to see that. I wanted more and I was not given that. Perhaps, perhaps, very unlikely, but perhaps it's intentional. Like all good Lovecraftian horrors, mankind is too insignificant in the grand scheme of the cosmos to know what is truly happening out there. We're too small to truly know the grand scheme of the cosmos and the great old ones and our minds are so frail they will just crumble under the weight of this infinite forbidden knowledge. Or it's just a plot hole the creators forgot to fill. Let's rectify my nagging right here, right now and talk about something positive about Underwater. And this one is going to surprise everyone, including myself, Kristen Stewart. Am I pronouncing her first name right? Probably not, knowing me. She gets a lot of criticism for her part in Twilight and Snow White and the Huntsman, and rightfully so. Oh, I'm the new girl in school and this rebellious outsider doesn't seem to like me, but really that means he does like me because that's how high school teenagers operate. If you're an adult, writing a young adult story. Oh, he's actually a vampire and he sparkles in the sun. Oh, he's so sexy. Oh, Twilight. Oh my God. Oh, let's spawn a disturbing CGI demonic baby creature. Oh my God, Twilight. Anyway, in recent years, she has made better choices in films that reflect her strengths as an actor. She's believable in this scenario. She's incredible in Spencer, which, if they leaned into it a little bit more, could have become a really compelling psychological horror. But I guess you can't do that if you're dealing with a real-life scenario, with real people, especially if they're in the royal family. And I've heard good things about her performances in Seaburg and that Charlie's Angels movie, 
even when the rest of that reboot is meant to be dog shit, Stuart is said to be the best thing in it, so I'm willing to forgive and forget her involvement in Twilight. If Robert Pattinson looks to be a potentially great Batman, I can overlook any prior bad acting from his co-star slash former lover. But I guess that's ancient history now. Moving on. So, it's the fi- We've reached the third act of the film. And Nora and the last other two survivors finally reach the Roebuck Drill where there's said to be leftover skateboards to reach the ocean's surface. Naturally, before they can do this, they have to creep through a tunnel of sleeping deep ones. And what exactly are these creatures sleeping on? Oh, oh, spoilers ahead! It's the big guy himself, Cthulhu, our lord and saviour. Yes, Underwater is a secret Cthulhu movie. Oh yeah! All this deep sea drilling going on in the Mariana Trench has awakened a great old one. And his awakening caused that earthquake to damage the Kepler in the first place, jumpstarting the whole story. Created by H.P. Lovecraft in 1928's short story, The Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu is one of the Great Old Ones, a race of god-like entities who arrived on Earth millions of years ago from the depths of space. With the aid of the Deep Ones, the city of Rilia, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, Rilia was built where Cthulhu resided. Eventually the big guy got bored or the stars weren't right, or something, and went into hibernation. At some point, a catastrophic earthquake sunk the city to the bottom of the ocean, taking Cthulhu, and that's where he dwelled until a bunch of sailors accidentally awakened him in 1925. Or, in underwater, a drilling operation wakes him around 2050. His little minions in this film, I believe, are meant to be deep ones. They're creatures who first appeared in Lovecraft's novella, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, in 1931, and they are a race of undersea-dwelling humanoids, and they regularly mate with a bunch of hick inbred people on the coastal village of Innsmouth, where they produce a bunch of bug-eyed fishmen that resemble a lot of the white trash from my hometown. I'm just saying. As you should all know by now, I'm a massive fan of H.P. Lovecraft's work. Mostly his ideas, not so much his writing. And I am most definitely not a fan of his xenophobia and homophobia. Yes, you can say he was a man of his times, but H.P. Lovecraft's Bigotry far surpassed anybody else's during his time. But it's once again one of those times where you have to separate the art from the person. And a lot of creators out there have clearly overlooked that and have borrowed liberally from Lovecraft for their own stories. They have built upon his mythology and continue to do so because his ideas are so rich and full of substance and so out there and weird that it, it's difficult for them to not capture your imagination. 
Speaking of which, and this is slightly off topic, but has anyone heard of the bloop before? The bloop was this ultra-low frequency, high-amplitude underwater sounds detected by the US National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in 1997. That was a mouthful. For years it was believed the sound was the result of a large undiscovered creature. In fact, the source of the sound was triangulated in a remote point in the South Pacific, roughly where Cthulhu is said to reside in a lost, submerged city of Rilia. However, disappointingly, in 2012, the bloop was apparently the result of an icequake, an iceberg cracking and breaking from an Antarctic glacier. I call cover-up. Because that is a boring explanation if I ever did hear one. In the end, Nora sacrifices herself to save Emily and Liam from the Deep Ones by self-destructing the drill, which works, but doesn't put a dent in the big guy. Documents reveal the incident has been covered up by TN Industries and intend to commence drilling again. So what's the moral of the story? Capitalism. It's bad. And that's Underwater. It's a decent survival sci-fi horror film. It's suspenseful, it's claustrophobic, but it isn't anything remarkable. I'll recommend others to see it, but it's never going to be a classic. And it never escapes the shadow of its predecessors. Oh, you're back then. I am, and Harley sat on me straight away, didn't you, darling? Where did you go? I went for a walk with one of my friends and her chow-chow. It was lovely. The chow-chow's lovely. Well, now you're back. What did you think of Underworld? No, wait. What did you think of Underwater? <laughs> I mean, it is under the world. <laughs> well, I know I've said this plenty times before, but I really don't like the dark. And the deep water is very dark. <laughs> yeah, there's no sunlight miles at the bottom of the ocean. I did not enjoy this film. <laughs> yeah, I really, really just did not enjoy them exploring about in the pitch black deep water because you've got more than one thing to contend with we haven't explored the sea on our own planet we haven't done any research so we can't confirm but i think we know less about our own oceans than we do space did you know what that really annoys me or godzilla godzilla could be down there quite possibly okay so getting back to the film is there anything you particularly didn't like yeah, the dark. <laughs> um, when they're exploring, because there was a um, possible survivor. Yeah, I really didn't like that because obviously they've got like headlamps on, and you can't really see much. And I'm just fully expecting something to pop out, you know, as as they do. Oh, and Emily, oh, she's like smashing. A helmet in at one point which is really not realistic because you know they're made for 
being in deep water, so a lot of pressure. And yet she can smash it open. <laughs> what? Yeah, Nora was running out of oxygen, so she needed to smash the helmet open once she finally got into the drill. Yeah. Even though a deep one was smashing her helmet in, trying to get to her, like a tin of sardines, mm-hmm. like five minutes earlier, and caused no damage. No. So, what, Emily just suddenly had superhuman strength? The power of adrenaline. Sure. Everybody loves a cliche. A lot of these ones don't work for this film because of the environment, but I'm I'm guessing the gang did split up at some point. Yes, and we keep getting reminded, actually, that um, they're meant to travel in pairs. The buddy system or something. She's lost her buddy. Oh, yeah, buddy got eaten. Yeah. Who's the final girl? Well, the story revolves around Nora, but she dies. And Emily and Liam are the ones left over. The Invincible Killer, yep, Cthulhu. You can't kill him. He regenerates. Oh, interesting. I think it's the first time we've had this in the history of Scaring Sam. The black guy dies first. Oh, yeah. Rodrigo. His helmet imploded. Well, main, main character. Obviously, there's some characters before that. Yeah, we don't know who they are, though. We just see them die. Yeah. But in terms of the gang, he's yeah. the first one to die. And I also wasn't very prepared at that point for someone to just go straight away. Because that was quite early on. There was no messing about with this film either. It was, we're in a locker room. Was it a locker room or a shower room or something? Bathroom, she's cleaning her teeth. And then all of a sudden, flood. (laughs) Well, I said early on, there's there's no real first act. The film starts with the inciting incident. That's what usually propels the story forward. So you get no character development. You just go, oh, story starts. And we're meant to find out who these characters are over the course of the film, but we don't really. Well, obviously there's the whole light issue. Investigating in the dark. That's the main cliche of this film. It's not like it's night time. But, no, I'm sorry, but it's kind of switched on this one. Because these creatures, whatever they are, know how to see in the dark. They live in the deep. (laughs) They live in the pitch black. Then... The humans, stupid humans, go and turn their lights off. Hello, unless you've got night vision, you can't see in the dark. Why did you turn your lights off? Also, the, Because that doesn't help anyone. In theory, the torchlight might blind these monsters because they're not used to it. Quite possibly. So... It's just there for scare value. Oh, something could come out of us at any moment. And it does. Yeah, but you get that with a headlamp anyway, because you've still got the pitch black surrounding you. You can only see a metre in front. You've still got that. So it wasn't needed. No, and like it was just stupid. Stupid. That was the cliches. Yeah, so Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score, 60%. Yeah. Average for a horror film. Disappointing 47% though on the tomato meter, but... From the critics. Yeah. Do you think that is because it stars Christian Stewart though? Well, I thought she was alright in this, to be honest. Yeah, but do you think because of Twilight, people were still giving her a bad rep? 
I don't know, because judge me if you want people listening. I've watched Twilight. <laughs> I mean, it's not one of my rewatches, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or something like that. Um, but I have, I've, I've watched them. Yeah, she's maybe not, not best in them. Not them. But she has progressed, and yeah. you shouldn't judge someone on previous work. I said earlier she was amazing in Spencer. And yeah, I, she was actually. I don't know what reviews that film got because we don't really look at reviews. I don't know if critics still gave her a bad rep for that. You perk it. Do you like Kristen Stewart? Oh <laughs> my goodness, needles, cat, needles. So <laughs> you've been listening to Scaring Sam. And like always, you can contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. You can follow us and like us on Instagram and Twitter at scaringsampod. I've been Sam. I've been James. And please rate, review and subscribe to wherever you listen to the pod. And you know what? If we get 10,000 downloads by the end of March... We're upload photos of Sam's feet. How's that? Right. Um, not sure how I feel about that one, James. You haven't signed off on it yet. Right, okay. But 10,000 downloads, and we'll consider it. How's that? Neither agreeing or disagreeing. Stay, Stay safe, safe out, out there, there tonight. tonight.